This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. I am not Matt McNeil. I'm Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt. I'll be here today and again on Monday. Matt will be back on Tuesday. We got Patrick on the board. How you doing today, Patrick? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today? I'm doing I'm doing uh, pretty well too, I guess I would say. I hadn't thought – yeah, I think I'm doing pretty well. Um yeah, no, you know, I, I I got on my the right side of my back sometimes. It's it's a little achy. Um, that's about it. Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. So wow, a lot going on now. Jill Stein, um, professional Russian uh, infiltrator and grifter. Decided she's running for president again, just like she did in 2016, and she was a part of what gave us Trump as president. Of course, that was the plan. She was just working for Russia. And now, it, I don't know, maybe she's just working for money. Seems like that's what some of this stuff is about. She's going to run as the Green Party candidate. And to tell you the truth, I, I don't know how that's all going to work. We have... Uh, the Green Party, the Independent Party, uh, and JFK or RFK Jr. is running for that. Uh, although JFK Jr. could run for it because we all know he's still alive, as is JFK himself, even though he's 105 years old. No, just kidding. They're both deceased. But RFK, Robert Kennedy Jr., who has kind of gone crazy in the recent years. Not kind of. Quite. He's quite gone crazy. He's running as the independent party candidate. He was going to primary Joe Biden, and Fox News and other right-wing people loved him. Everybody loved him. The, the Republicans loved him when he was primarying against Joe Biden. But then he decided to run for the independent party. And Hannity had him on and just grilled him and just turned on him pretty bad. Just a, an about face turn on R.F. Kennedy. So they are afraid that R.F. Kennedy Jr. is going to take votes away from the Republicans, not the Democrats. And they're right. They're right about that. Jill Stein. I mean, the Green Party, we forgot about the Green Party. The Green, I don't think they ran a candidate in 2020. I mean, if, if they did, I didn't know about it. Uh, I don't remember it. So they didn't do a very good job of it if they did. And younger people now, 
they don't know what the Green Party. The Green Party's kind of from like 20, 30 years ago. The whole, you know, when they called it Green, um, the Green Party. Um, you know, now it's uh, climate warming and 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 environmental. You know, going green is kind of an old thing. I so I don't know how much power that party has. I don't know if they have any structure. I haven't heard anything about them. Do they have money? I mean, the Republican Party doesn't have money now. So does the Green Party have money? How can Jill Stein run as president of the, for the Green Party? Is she going to be on all the ballots? I don't know. The Independent Party seems to have been, you know, always kind of consistently had somebody going on. But they're usually a spoiler. And now the independent candidate looks like he's going to be a spoiler against the Republicans. And Jill Stein, the Green Party normally would take away votes from the Democratic Party. But I think everybody's really on alert, on high alert right now. And that's why I really think that uh, Biden is not going to have any problems in 2024. People are sounding the alarm, but... I don't know. Yeah, I don't. And and polls. I've even heard a lot of people just, you know, people on uh, other MSNBC and places like that, where they say things like, you know, polls right now, national polls. They either, if if you're working for a campaign, they either make you think you're doing worse than you really are, or they make you think you're doing better than you really are. They're kind of worthless, and they're just a poll for that weekend. A national poll. How can you do a national poll? especially when Gen Z doesn't answer their phone. So you've heard me talk about that over and over again. The Jill Stein thing, I don't think I'm very worried about it. She did garner enough votes, basically taking away votes from Hillary Clinton in 2016, enough in some battleground states, and that's what gave Donald Trump the Electoral College. Donald Trump still lost to Hillary Clinton by 3 million votes. And then he lost to Joe Biden by 7, more than 7 million votes. And people still think Joe Biden can't beat Donald Trump. He already did beat Donald Trump by 7 million votes. Yeah, the Electoral College, things get more uh, scary which is why I think we should get rid of the Electoral College. I think that's something of the past. The Republicans used to want to get rid of the, the Electoral College, and now they want to keep it. And it's all just about keeping power for them, obviously. So that's some new news. Uh, Jill St- and, of course, also um, Joe Manchin. And uh, there's a thing called No... Uh, oh, now, what is it called? No labels. No, yeah, no labels. labels. Um, no labels, and I, I think they're getting at, you know, no label, either Democratic or Republican. So no labels. They're going to be kind of in the middle, centrist. Really, all they're trying to do is win, you know, make sure the Republicans win. And Joe Manchin, they're thinking of having as their candidate for president no official announcements, but that's been the talk for months. No Labels is extremely disorganized. It sounds like the people on top of No Labels has no idea what they're doing. So I don't know. 
I don't feel super worried about all these other things. Uh, Dean Phillips is not running a serious campaign. He didn't even file in Nevada. I don't know how you think you're going to become the Democratic candidate if you're not on the primary ballot in Nevada. Um, this Did you see that? These, these headphones just moved. The ghost is back. <laughs> I did not see that, but uh, I'll take your word yeah. for it. I, you know, in reality, if I uh, did an investigation, I think the wire just kind of resituated, but I'm going to go with ghost. Uh, you weren't here, but this, this mic stand just started moving away from me once last year. And um, I asked Brett if there are ghosts here in the station, and he said, you know, it used to be like a rock station. There could be some disgruntled old... You know, some some unhappy old rock uh, DJ soul that got stuck in the building, you know? I've heard uh, some people with a little more experience, if you want to go that way in that field, say, yeah, you guys have a lot of friends here. <laughs> really? Huh. Interesting. It makes sense. A lot of people would be tied to this building over decades. Um, I don't know when this building was built, but I know it was here like in the 60s when I was a kid because I was kind of enamored by radio stations and stuff and um, we'd drive by it. I can't remember what radio station it was. Anyway, also another thing just related to the building here, I can tell that it's becoming winter because it's just getting uh, excruciatingly hot in this room, more and more hot in this room. And that happens in the winter. Um, we have the Before we had the cameras, I would have to disrobe to a certain degree, in order to get through the whole show. Uh, not in the summertime. In the summertime, i got to wear my coat. Anyway, so, yeah, talking about, and and I'm, I might talk about it too much, uh, but it is extremely important because the stakes are so high. And I've also, I also heard somebody say, everybody's watching the horse race and nobody's talking about the stakes that are up here the stakes that happen after the horse race ends. So what we got to do is we got to stop watching the polls. And like I said, I really don't think Dean Phillips is running a serious campaign. Uh, it's knowing him as well as I do. I was astonished when he announced he was going to run for president. And then he has Steve Schmidt who says he's not a Republican anymore. I just have trouble trusting any of those kind of people. He's the one who brought Sarah Palin into the John McCain campaign in 2008. And uh, now he's Dean's top advisor or possibly campaign manager. Dean put out a tweet saying that the uh, system is rigged for if you're running in the Democratic primary. He says it's rigged. Dean Phillips said that in a tweet. What are you doing, Dean? And he also had a banner on his bus that said, Make America Affordable Again. What are you doing? What are you doing? So I, I don't know what happened to Dean Phillips. I I either feel like um, maybe one of these crazy ghosts that we were talking about took over his his body and um, 
and they're a Republican. And so they're like, hey, let's use Dean Phillips' body to see if we can mess up Joe Biden. That's one thing. That's what I'm hoping it is. Because the other thing makes me feel like I've been completely duped by Dean Phillips for five years. And I don't want that to be true. Yeah, but that's how I feel about Dean Phillips. I don't feel worried about Dean Phillips being a threat to to Joe Biden. So whatever ghost took over Dean Phillips' body does not understand what's going on right now. But again, we shouldn't be watching the polls. We don't need to be just watching the horse race and getting scared one weekend and then feeling better the next weekend because the numbers are a little better and then scared the next weekend because the numbers are bad again. That's not going to get us anywhere. We just got to make sure that Joe Biden or whatever Democrat ends up being the candidate at the time of election wins, period. I believe it's going to be Joe Biden, but, you know, anything can happen. I saw Kamala Harris do a speech. She went down to South Carolina to issue papers so that they can be on the primary ballot in South Carolina. And she gave a little speech, and she's great. They got, we're going to be seeing more of both her and of Joe Biden. Starting probably about now, we're going to be seeing a lot more of them. You got to remember, too, that he hasn't really started the campaign. He's been building a war chest, and it's huge. And it's I'm talking about just money. I'm not talking about, like, you know militia type of arms war chest. I'm talking about money. That's how that's how it's talked about in the, the political biz. But anyway, he's got tons of money because people have been giving him tons of money. Many, many people giving him smaller amounts of money, whereas the Republicans just get dark money, and they're not even getting that anymore because the huge donors— are, think Trump is crazy, so they're they're holding their money back. For a little while, they were giving it to DeSantis, and then they found out that he's some kind of really weird, socially inept Simon Bar sinister on high heels. So they stopped giving to him. So they're holding their money back. The this spring, the uh, money reports for the parties. The Republicans in Minnesota had eight dollars. You thought I was going to say hundred thousand before I said dollars. No, they had eight dollars, not eight hundred, not eight thousand, not eight hundred thousand, which would be more on par with what's usual. No, eight dollars. And then on the other side of the page, where they have debts, they had. I can't remember exactly, $327,000 worth of debt. They have yet to pay the facility in Rochester where they had their convention in 2022. So how are they going to have a convention in 2024? You know, <laughs> all the facilities are going to say, um, no, renting our facility for four days costs more than $8. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Joe Biden has been sitting on this and letting the Republicans show us their feces show that they're doing. 
And why not? Look how good elections are going. Look at this last Tuesday. So the only reason, the only thing that makes me worried is, like I said, the stakes in this race. And we'll talk about that after we take a short break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. Oh, this is kind of cool. Let's just listen. Let's just listen to the song. It can't be that long, right? No, we should talk. I think people come here to... Listen to political talk, right? Not music. It's a pretty cool song, though. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil show. Who is that? Do you know? I do not. It does not have the uh, artist's name on the uh, soundboard. Oh, man. So we're a radio station. We deal with information, and we don't know what we're doing. We're playing songs. We don't know who it is. How are we going to pay the, the artist for using their song? Uh, maybe we'll just flip them five bucks. We don't know who they are is my point, though. <laughs> anyway. So we're going to talk about the stakes. I don't know if you've heard talk about what Trump is planning if he becomes president. He seems to be losing his mind. He's either completely losing his mind or he's a genius. Which one do you think it is? <laughs> I mean, did he have a mind to lose to begin with? Right, yeah, but he's even worse. I mean, even if you look at clips of him from 2016 or 2018 or any time like that, he's completely different than he is now. And he's saying weird stuff. He's getting things. He's Yeah, he talked about oh, Victor, Orban, Victor Orban. He's the president of Turkey, which he's not. He's the um, prime minister of Hungary. And then he says, and Hungary, uh, Hungary has, they border both Russia and Ukraine. And this guy, he says a lot of things to me. He's a great guy. And Hungary does not border Russia. And Trump has said this repeatedly. It's not like he said it at a rally and then somebody backstage said, hey, you know what? You shouldn't say that anymore because Hungary actually does not border Russia. So this means he doesn't have anyone working for him that knows that Hungary doesn't border Russia. Now, I'll admit that I didn't really know that. I'm not that much uh, that up on my geography. But I think if I had been president of the United States for four years, I'm pretty sure I would have known that. And... All the people working on in the White House and then working for you after you're president and you're running a campaign, there's nobody around him that knows that Turk that Hungary does not have a border on Turkey. And, and he gets hungry in Turkey. It's like, um, I'm, I'm hungry for Turkey. That's what it is. That's why it's, um, that's what it is. Turkey makes me hungry. And Viktor Orban, it's like, he's both to me. But he's saying things like, because he thinks, and I do think he truly thinks that Biden is sicking the DOJ on him. In New York, he says this, even though it's not the DOJ that's uh, prosecuting him in New York. It's the New York Attorney General. And 
Biden has no control over her, but I think Trump thinks that it's all it's all rigged. They all it's the deep state, and I think he thinks that it's just simply Joe Biden is saying, "Let's try to get Trump put in jail before the election." And of course, it's not that. So therefore, Trump is saying things like, "When I become president, and I don't like somebody, I'm just going to say indict him." And he's saying that he's going to have a special counsel on the whole Biden family. He's going to indict. I mean, these are people that used to work for him. General Milley, uh, John Kelly, his attorney general, Bill Barr. All these people. I mean, Bill Barr is a, is a crazy Republican, a corrupt, crazy Republican. Bill Barr is the one that helped get all the pardons back when he was the attorney general for George H.W. Bush, all the pardons over uh, the Iran-Contra scandal. That's Bill Barr. And Trump thinks that he's now not even just a rhino, but like a left-wing conspiracy person who needs to be prosecuted. So that's what Trump is saying. But there's a project called Project 25, or I'm sorry, Project 2025, the conservative promise. And they're talking about, it's it's a heritage foundation idea. And so far they have raised $22 million. They're working with $22 million. That's a lot. They want to ban any talk of gender or sexuality. It would be considered pornography and pedophilia if you were talking about gender or sexuality at all. You're a pedophile, and that is pornography. We're going to talk about this phrase. They, they came up with this phrase, the rights of the unborn. That's because they, they know pro-life is not working anymore. So they're trying to find different phrases. So now they're talking about abortion bans as being the rights of the unborn. And this was written in a manifesto they have. It's actually like they call it a manual. And it's 139 pages long or something like that. And it's to teach people about how they're going to do Project 2025. They want, they're going to ban critical race theory, gender ideology, and environmental extremism from schools. I don't even know what they're talking about. Of course, we've heard of critical race theory, and they're not teaching it in schools. They're, they're not teaching gender ideology. What is gender ideology? Is that just, I don't know what it is. Environmental extremism is apparently going on in our schools. I don't know. My daughter graduated in 2021 from high school, and um, she never said anything about her uh, her environmental extremist classes. They want to uh, bar discussions. They, uh, it starts with deleting the terms sexual orientation and gender identity, diversity, equality, or I'm sorry, equity and inclusion. And 
these are phrases that they're so scared of. Uh, really, Democrats don't even really hardly use these. DEI, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's something that schools have said because they want to make sure that, I mean, they like having diversity. I'm all for diversity. I, I know from my own life when I grew up in Minnesota where I never saw even a black person in person until I got older and moved to Minneapolis and and then it was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> you know, people have different stuff going on. I like this. And uh, so I think it's good for people to have to be interspersed in a diversity. Um, and then, of course, they want equity and they want inclusion. But these people are going after these phrases like, I mean, uh, the way the way the schools talk about it is, no, we want diversity, we want equity, and we want inclusion because those are three good things. And these people come up with a phrase like DEI, we need to get rid of it. They don't want anyone to talk about gender or gender equality, gender equity, gender awareness, gender sensitive. Uh, they don't want anyone to talk about abortion. Reproductive health or reproductive rights. They don't want people to talk about that. They sure don't want it talked about in schools, which I don't know that it really is. And any other term used to deprive Americans of their amended amendment rights. Even though they want to break the First Amendment because they want to implement Christian biblically based ideologies. And that goes against the First Amendment. We're, the, the First Amendment doesn't say in so many words the separation of church and state, but that is, the First Amendment says, you know, the country cannot superimpose a certain religion. Those aren't the exact words, but it's paraphrasing. So they're, you know, uh, going against their own, they, they want to hold up amendments, the First Amendment, but they want to go against the First Amendment. Um, they want to bar, yeah, the, those discussions. They want, they want to reform voting rights, of course. They want to reform immigration. And actually, they don't want to reform immigration. They, they want it to be a problem. But they're, they can't talk about reforming immigration if that problem gets solved. So they don't want immigration reform because then they could not, no longer complain about wanting immigration <laughs> reform. They want to dismantle basically every part of the government. The FCC would be under the president's tutelage, or not tutelage, but guidance. He would have complete control over the FCC. This radio station would not be able to keep its license unless it turned into a right-wing radio station. That kind of thing. And Trump talks about persecuting people who aren't loyal to him, people who talk bad of him. So I don't know, Patrick, I guess maybe you and it, have you ever said anything disparaging of Trump? Because if you have, <laughs> you're going to go to jail. I might get a life sentence. Yeah. I think uh, Matt might get something worse than a life sentence. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, wow, what if they threw us like in a cell with Matt? Uh, I think um, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Wow, now I'm really scared. <laughs> they use the term conservative warriors. 
They're gathering conservative warriors and training them in. And now, of course, I don't want to scare you too much because in order to implement all this crap, they're going to need the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. I really feel like there's a 0% chance that's ever going to happen again, or at least for decades. There's going to have, the Republicans are going to have to reform themselves a lot before they uh, get into you know, gain more power. But if that were to happen, this is what they want to do. These are the stakes that are up. So we got to stop watching the horse race and we got to make sure that we do everything we can. There are a lot of things regular people can do to help candidates. Kelly Morrison just announced she's running for uh, Congress in the third district here in Minnesota. And give her 20 bucks. Give Joe Biden 20 bucks. That helps a lot because when, you know, a million people give 20 bucks, that adds up to uh, like 20, 20 hundred bucks. I don't know. Two, a million times 20, 20 million. No, I, I did know that. Sometimes I play dumb and my wife gets mad because she thinks people are going to actually think I am that dumb. And sometimes I am. So maybe it's just a way of covering that up uh, is why I do that. Anyway, there are a lot of things a, any regular person can do to help make sure that Project 2025 never sees the light of day. Easy things like giving a small donation to people that you want to win. Because if we all vote, voting. Because if we all vote, the Republicans will never win again. They know that. We heard Rick Santorum say that yesterday. He said, you know, when you put stuff on the ballot and let people vote on it, you can't do that. And then he said in so many words, democracy is not the way to run this country. That's where the Republicans are at. So if we all vote, they cannot win. So... Even if you don't give a small donation, just vote. And the stakes, these stakes I just read off, this Project 2025, will, will go away. Or it'll be stuffed in a drawer and nobody will read it. So, the stakes are high. We need to all do our part. Stop watching the polls. Don't pay attention to the polls. Especially now, they mean nothing. We found that out on Tuesday night. It was proven to us again. So let's stop worrying about the polls and let's start thinking about the election and playing our part, even if it's doing nothing but just putting your one vote in. All right, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Todd Mickelson in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show with Patrick on the, the guitar and the board today. Um, he brought his harmonica yesterday, but he, he couldn't really play it very well. <laughs> I am a man of many. Uh, I am a, uh, I forgot, I'm trying to think of the phrase. I am a... Uh, Re Renaissance man? No, I'm thinking of, I am a student of many instruments, a master of none. Ah, <laughs> wouldn't it be better to just pick one and 
become a virtuoso? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, then you got some guys like Paul McCartney who are good at everything they pick up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know if uh, I, you can't talk anti Beatles still, can you? Can't uh, go against the Beatles. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I I like the Beatles. <laughs> Me too. I was more of a John Lennon uh, side guy. I like the stuff John Lennon writes, and then because they would write songs together, and there would be kind of a happy part, and then there would be kind of a darker part, and the darker part was John Lennon apparently, and the happy parts were Paul McCartney. Oh, it makes so, sense. Yeah, so I was kind of a John Lennon guy, as you can tell by, uh, I think you can hear through my voice how hard and dark and depressed I am most of the time. Did you hear that? I did. Ah. Uh, so, people are talking about the um, uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3. And, you know, I, I kind of think it's going to turn into a nothing burger for a couple reasons. One of them is it'll probably end in the Supreme Court no matter what happens. And right now, I think the Supreme Court might just say, no, we're not going to do this because everyone's afraid to do it. Reason number two, I think it's going to be a nothing burger because Donald Trump's not going to be the candidate, the Republican candidate in 2024. He's going to be inmate number blah, 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 somewhere in a federal prison when he's found guilty in, let's see, March, it'll probably happen in April and he'll probably get, be sent, they'll, they'll he'll do an appeal, um, but I think that will be fast-tracked. So I'm thinking maybe sometime in May he'll be sentenced. And when he's sentenced, then he's going to be taken directly from that room and get put in prison because he's going to get sentenced to prison time. So anyway, that's a more exciting story than this uh, uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, just a quick background. The 14th Amendment came about after the Civil War. When a bunch of uh, rebels, the people that were on the in the uh, the other the last insurrection, <laughs> um, the Confederate army were running for office again, and we were kind of going, okay, those guys shouldn't be in Congress, right? Are they? Can we trust them? So we came up with the Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution, and in Section Three, it says, and of course I don't have it in front of me, but it says something to the effect of. Um, uh, it, it does refer to an insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution. And it says, anybody who has taken, taken the oath to protect the Constitution and then either you know, is part of an insurrection against the Constitution or rebels against the Constitution cannot run for any office, any elected office uh, in the United States. So... There's a different argument, though. So first I'm going to tell you about what happened here in Minnesota. And this just happened, man, I, I, no, it was last week. I think it was last Friday. I think it was a week ago today or maybe last Thursday where there was a hearing in the Minnesota Supreme Court. Um, Paul Thiessen, who's a friend of mine, he's now a Supreme Court justice, and he asked the most questions. Uh, I always like the guy in the room who asks the most questions because, uh, you know, you bring a lot more clarity to what's going on. Anyway, so 
the Minnesota Supreme Court then just this last Wednesday, the 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 hearing was last week on Friday or Thursday. I did watch the whole thing. It was only an hour long. It was it was pretty interesting, and um, the lawyer for a group called Free Speech for People, he seemed to really have his act together. And then the lawyer for Donald Trump was kind of contradicting himself here and there. I'm not going to go too deep into that because it's pretty confusing unless you're you know following it in real time. Um, and then uh, the Minnesota Republican Party had a lawyer there, and he was like, um, you can tell that they can't really afford good lawyers. I, I'll just say that. So then that happened, and then the Supreme Court took a few days to make their decision. What was going on, uh, the, the case brought by the left-leaning group Free Speech for People argued that Trump is ineligible to be on the ballot because of his role in the insurrection on January 6, 2021. The 14th Amendment includes an insurrection clause which restricts anyone from holding government office if they've engaged in an insurrection. Now, this last Wednesday, the Minnesota Supreme Court dismissed that request to bar former President Donald Trump from the 2024 presidential nomination primary ballot. The group believes that Trump's actions on January 6th, uh, the, this group that brought the action, they believe his actions on January 6th and the attempts to overturn the 2020 election results violate the insurrection clause. The state's highest court didn't address the insurrection allegation head on. Instead, issuing an order Wednesday stating that who appears on the primary ballot is an internal party issue. They, uh, they write, there is no state statute that prohibits a major political party from placing on the presidential nomination primary ballot or sending delegates to the national convention supporting a candidate who is ineligible to hold office. That's what the Minnesota Supreme Court said. That's all true, actually. So the state Supreme Court dismissed the petition without prejudice, meaning the group may bring a challenge to putting Trump's name on the 2024 general election ballot. Similar cases are also being heard in other states, including Colorado. I know Michigan is, is going through a process with this as well. And a couple, I think Arizona has started a process on this. So... Although state courts are hearing these cases, the issue is on a path that will likely end in the U.S. Supreme Court, and the Republican supermajority on the high court will likely rule to keep Trump on the ballot. I disagree with that final ruling, but what the Supreme Court here in Minnesota did, they're only talking about the primary, the ballot for the primary, not the general election. So something different could happen, and it's not completely up to them. And um, there's another point to be made about it. Uh, Lawrence Tribe and Judge Luddig. Judge Luddig is a, a very well-known um, conservative judge who's very, very well-regarded by everybody. And Lawrence Tribe is also, um, he's not a judge, I think he's a lawyer, and he's also highly regarded. They talk about and they wrote an article this last summer. They're, they're kind of the ones that started everybody talking about the 14th Amendment. I think we should have been talking about it you know, right when Trump announced his campaign, but we didn't. So they talk about something in the Constitution. I think it's in either the first or the second, uh, not amendments, but um, uh, 
I'm not sure where it is, but it's it's at the very beginning of the Constitution. It talks about the president. They're trying to sort of define the presidency. And there's something in it called the Executive Vesting Clause. And this is what says the president is president for four years, and then he cannot remain president unless he wins an election. And then they changed that even in the 1940s that you can only do that one time. You can be president for four years. You win an election. You can be president for another four years. Back in the 40s, FDR was president for 12 years because <laughs> he kept winning elections. So that's when the conservatives said, no, we need to you know, have um, – we need to say he can only be president for eight years total. But back, you know, in the beginning of the Constitution, that wasn't part of it. But the president has to step down unless he wins an election, and that is what Trump violated. So that is him violating or rebelling against the Constitution then through osmosis. In reality, January 6th doesn't really matter. Trump's involvement in January 6th doesn't really matter. They should be... uh, you know, concentrating on this executive vesting clause because Trump was refusing to step down and he was trying to delay the finality of this vote because he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay in power and he did not win an election. So that's what he broke and that's what makes him ineligible. But um, interesting stuff, again, I... I think talk of it is going to simmer down a little bit, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens with this. So many freaky things going on. If you would have told anybody this was, we were going to be talking about this, you know, 10 years ago, we would have said, what? What are you talking about? So let's take a break. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil show. Uh, that was a little better on the guitar, that that take uh, that Andrew played. Andrew's on the board and the guitar producing the show today. That's me. Uh, here's some more proof that when Republicans are trying to get rid of public schools, now this isn't about public schools, but... When they're trying to knock down schools and and take away funding from schools, um, every dollar you invest in our schools, in public schools in Minnesota and uh, probably other places, every dollar you invest, you get $7 back. Uh, You know, that's a long, complicated study that was done a long time ago. Um, But it's, it's because you're you're getting a kid ready for life and be to, for them to be a part of the economy even. You know, they're, you're educating them so that they can uh, support themselves. They'll buy a house. They'll buy a car they'll, because they're, they'll be able to get a job and have money. And so school is good. And supporting school and making schools the best possible place for, for kids is good no matter what Republicans say. Now, here's a very interesting story I'm going to be reading to you from the Minnesota Reformer, one of our favorite news 
sources here in Minnesota. They also do a great job on national stories. And I'm going to give credit also to it's this this one's done by Michelle Griffith at the Minnesota Reformer. Facing fierce competition from Minnesota's new free college program, North Dakota State University announced Thursday that it will offer free tuition for eligible North Dakota and Minnesota first or second year students during the 2024-25 school year. Students who have families with a gross adjusted income of $80,000 or less and are eligible for federal Pell Grant assistance qualify for the NDSU's new tuition program, which will cover base tuition and student fees. The Minnesota legislature passed a similar free college tuition program earlier this year for University of Minnesota and Minnesota state campuses, also for families with income of 80000 or less. In June, NDSU President David Cook said Minnesota's free college program has catastrophic implications for North Dakota, since the majority of the NDSU student body is Minnesota residents who now may be more enticed to attend school in their home state thanks to free tuition. Over 45% of NDSU's 12,000 and more enrolled students in the fall of 2022 were Minnesota residents. So uh, North Dakota thinks it's going to lose money unless it does the same thing Minnesota does with this free tuition, free college program. So they must think it's good. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it's going to be bad for them. All right, we got to take a break. It's uh, the end of the first hour. We'll be back for the second hour in a few minutes on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. And I'm not Matt McNeil. I'm Todd Mickelson. Matt will be back on Tuesday. So I'll be here for the rest of today, and I'll be here on Monday again. And uh, we got Patrick on the board today. So uh, this just this morning, maybe maybe even this afternoon, very recently, uh, Judge Aileen Cannon uh, denied Trump's delay on the Mar-a-Lago documents trial, if that's what we want to call it. She's the judge down in Florida, and she's pro-Trump. So a lot of people were surprised. So now that she had scheduled it for May 20th, and Donald Trump and his people were saying, no, you got to have it after the election because he wants to become president, and then he would just call it all off. So that's what he was trying to demand. And then today, to everyone's surprise, she said, nope, it's happening on May 20th. And that sounds like a good thing, right? But she's also saying she she granted Trump a delay in uh, putting forth some SEPA uh, measures and until February. So she said she's going to reconsider then, you know, when they take care of that, see how that goes. And see how it turns out in February. And I don't. I'm. I'm not even clear. I think it. I think that means that Trump's people have to study some of the classified stuff, and they say there's too much of it, so they ask for a delay. So she gave them the delay until February, and then she said she's going to make a ruling on March 1st to reconsider keeping the May 20th. Now this sounds like oh, that's good. She's 
she denied Trump something, right? <laughs> but uh, Tom Joseph writes about it here. I think he does it fairly succinctly because this is what popped into my head. Is this blocking other trials? So what Tom Joseph writes, as expected, corrupt Judge Cannon now won't decide until March 1st, 2024, whether to move Trump's May 2024 classified documents trial date. She's doing it this way to block Trump's trials in Georgia and New York from going forward. This is a conspiracy between Cannon and Trump. Notice how Trump isn't screaming and demanding Cannon move his trial date to 2025 anymore. Right now, he needs Cannon to in incriminate. In oh, okay. Wow, I couldn't read there for a second. Right now, he needs Cannon to incrementally block out Willis and Bragg in 2024. It's criminal on her part. He's begging the media to find the contacts between Trump and Cannon, because that's illegal if they're working together. Uh, and she could get in huge trouble. And he's already in huge trouble and going to go to prison. Uh, like I said, probably, I don't know, j by June or July, I'm thinking, he'll be in prison. Um, he's not going to be 47. He's going to be inmate number something, something, you know, 7,840. So what this does is if she moved away from May 20th, then uh, Fonnie Willis, who's waiting for a time to for her hearings, right now uh, the first one is going to be in March. I believe it starts March 24th for uh, – the January 6th insurrection um, hearing uh, that's overseen by Judge Tanya Chutkin. And then Fonnie Willis is overseeing the Georgia date. And, you know, they need times, they need times on the calendar. So what this does is Aileen Cannon is taking up that time now in, on May 20th, starting on May 20th. And she's not going to make a final ruling on it until as late as March 1st. So Fonnie Willis is like, well, can Fonnie Willis have her trial in May if Cannon moves it? We don't know. So that's what it looks like is happening. It sounds good when you first hear it, like, oh, wow, she denied Trump of something. But it sounds way more sinister than that. Or I think I believe it probably is way more sinister than that. I wanted to read for you an interesting thread by representative from Illinois, Sean Caston. He's of course in the uh, United States House of Representatives. So let's go down onto the House floor with Representative Sean Caston. Here's his thread. It's hard to explain how dysfunctional the House GOP is and the degree to which their own internal divisions are superseding every normal function of government. But I'm going to try with a short story about this week in the House. First, we operate on a, a 930 fiscal year. That means a September 30th fiscal year. But the uh, McCarthy-led House couldn't agree on how to fund prior to that. They tried to just say cut everything by 30%. That didn't pass. Uh, not even Republicans would pass that because it's crazy. 
So they said, let's just fund at current levels for 45 days. And that cost McCarthy his speakership. For context, when Dems had the majority, we got all our appropriations done by August 1st so the Senate could finalize and POTUS could sign. House GOP still hasn't done that. And, by the way, if you haven't noticed, we're past September 30th. Going back to Sean Caston. Also, you may recall this summer the House GOP threatened to default on U.S. debt unless we agreed to future spending rules. A deal was struck that passed the House and was signed into law to do so. The 30% cut was not consistent with that law, a.k.a. it was illegal. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing about this budget. It's The deal was made long ago to keep the government open, and the Republicans are reneging on it because that's what they do. You can't trust them at all. Going back to what Sean Caston is saying, by contrast, the straight 45-day continuing resolution that cost McCarthy his job was legal in the sense that it did not violate the June agreement and bought us time to do so. Obeying the law was a red line for the House GOP, so they fired McCarthy. <laughs> they then used the first 20 days of that 45-day period to fight over a new speaker. Right. 45 days is not enough time to pass. I think they need at least 12 appro different appropriations, and they all need to agree on it, get it passed. They need to, you know, uh, they can't uh, lose pretty much any Republicans. They got to make sure that it passes. So 45 days isn't enough time. They spent half of that time trying to find a new speaker. And of course, I'm sure you heard about how smoothly that went. And so what they were trying to figure out when they were picking a new speaker, we'll go back to Sean Caston here. The Republicans were saying, should we pick someone who hates gay people, fought to overturn the election, or creeps on his son's porn? It took a while, but the House GOP finally said yes to all three. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this thing with MAGA Mike Johnson, the new speaker of the House, and he and his 17-year-old adopted black son— uh, that's not in any family pictures. They has a lot of family pictures, but this 17-year-old black adopted son isn't in any of those, and there's no paperwork of the adoption. This is really, really, really creepy. This guy is creepy. Right, and uh, if, you're, if you're this staunch Christian and you're uh, almost as Christian as Jesus, who wasn't Christian, then... What are you doing looking at porn? I thought you weren't supposed to look at porn. But you know, he's just say, oh, my son watches, you know, he keeps an eye on me so that I don't. And he basically said, so I don't look at any inappropriate porn. All right. Good. All right. And MAGA Mike is trying to scrub the internet of all of this stuff. But he said that on, on stage. At, I, mean, I mean, he knew it was public. He said it in public on a stage. That's what the video is. It's so creepy and weird that guy so anyway sean caston is being a little sarcastic here representative sean caston um i don't know that the republicans knew all that stuff when they got him in but i think they knew that he hated gay people at the very least and usually of course there are also rumors um very predictable usually these guys who these staunch christian republican conservatives who seem to only get elected to outlaw homosexuality, it, 
the news always comes out that, yeah. It's because they hate themselves because they're gay themselves. There are rumors about him being gay. I'm not really going to talk about him much because I don't know much about him. I haven't looked into that because, frankly, I don't care if he's gay. I do care that he hates gay people and wants to pass laws uh, getting rid of gay people. But he himself, I don't care. And nobody should. Let's go back to Representative Sean Caston, his view from the House floor. So that leaves a lot of work to do by a party that doesn't like laws is at war with itself and an inexperienced leadership team. But off we went. Last week, we were supposed to vote on transportation funding. Republicans couldn't agree, so Johnson never brought a bill to the floor. This isn't just a Johnson problem. McCarthy previously chose not to bring an agriculture funding package to the floor because Republicans couldn't agree. Still don't have a path on that one either right now. This week, we were supposed to vote on a funding package for our financial services and general government. Minutes before we were supposed to vote on that yesterday, they pulled it on account of internal squabbles in the Republican caucus. Note, all of these bills violate the law we passed last June. But having discovered that Democrats won't vote to break the law, they are trying to pass these with just all Republican votes, but they're big mad at each other, so even that's not possible. Now, to the question on the mind of every libertarian troll who's read this far, if government is going to run out of money and you aren't even voting on bills to fund it, why are you wasting my taxpayers' dollars in D.C.? Well, here's what they did bring up for votes this week. A bill to prevent the government from using the word Latinx. A bill to cut White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre's salary to $1. A bill to defund the Office of Gun Violence Prevention. A bill to eliminate the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. A bill to cut the SEC Chair Gary Gensler's salary to $1. A bill to defund the Office of Gun Violence Prevention. A bill to prevent the government from developing greenhouse gas disclosure rules. A bill to eliminate 50% of the budget for the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Yeah, because we don't need that. These things aren't urgent, they're not helpful, and they aren't going to become law. He points out that it has to go through the Senate and be signed by the president. So they're talking about all this stuff, and they know it's doing nothing but wasting time. Going back to Sean Caston, But they keep the idiot wing of the House GOP from turning on their rookie manager and waste 435 people's time on the House floor. And so, now we are seven days from a shutdown. Still no path to fund. Still no sign of anyone in the House Republican will uh, willing to stand up to their extreme fringe. Still no discernible leadership talents from their new speaker. Right now it's annoying, but in eight days it's disastrous. Because if they can't get their feces together... Eight days from now, soldiers, air traffic controllers, food safety inspectors, IRS agents, border patrol, all go without pay. Some will be furloughed. Food, heating, housing, assistance, every government function. Please, 
House Republicans, grow up. Stop fighting with your brother and sister in the back seat. Either act like the adults you claim to be or at least have the dignity to go to your room so the adults can babysit your sorry selves. Too much is at stake. That's the long thread today from Illinois uh, Representative Sean Kasten and uh, very well put. Representative Kasten. All right, let's take a break and come back. You're listening to The Matt McNeil Show on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be right back. I want to issue one quick correction. Mike Johnson's son is actually 40, so I was very wrong about that, and I'm sorry. All right, now No, no, he has has a 17-year-old son he says he adopted, but there's no adoption papers. Okay, well, we'll talk. Well, we can look into that more. That's the one who's like, that's how everybody's understanding it. But even if his son is 40 and they're watching each other's porn, I don't know. I agree with that. We'll come back, obviously. Yeah. All right. Commercial break. We'll be right back. I love my Toyota vehicles, so when I have to get service done, there's only one place I go. Rudy Luther Toyota. They know Toyota's inside and out. It starts with them checking your alignment and tire treads with their Hunter... AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show and um, Patrick. Uh, and I, I was right in that he ad- unofficially adopted uh, this kid when he was 17, but he is now 40. So um, I was right about them adopting him when he was 17. Patrick is right about that he is now 40. And this, I, I found some information over the break and this is something really weird. Now, this guy has had a lot of trouble with crime, and that's, I guess, part of why they took him in. He's even having trouble with crime right now. He's in court for um, uh, running an illegal cannabis business or something like that. Uh, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but he himself says uh, he came out. I haven't, I haven't heard Mike Johnson talk about this at all, but... He came out. So this guy's name is Michael Terrell James. And he talked to somebody this week because of all this, you know, discombobulated information. And he says, if the Johnsons hadn't taken me in as a teenager, my life would look very different today. I would probably be in prison or I might not have made it at all. So in reality, the Johnsons taking him into their home when he was a troubled teen is a really good thing. Why would Mike Johnson not clarify that over the last couple of weeks when people are talking about this? He, I mean, and I'm not even criticizing him for that, but, uh, you know, if it were me, I would have, I would have right away came out and said, okay, you know what? I need, I need to talk about this. I don't, it, first of all, it's nobody's business, but people are telling a lot of stories about my adopted son. And here's the story. And then tell the story because it's a good story. It makes you look good. And there's a picture of him and his wife with uh, Terrell James, Michael Terrell James. It looks like it's from the you know 90s when, when he was 17 years old. So it was a family adoption thing. It's not this creepy thing that people have been talking about. Why would Mike Johnson not clarify that? I don't know. 
Well, it sounds like the kid finally got sick of it and uh, said, hey, I want to clarify this. Cause, so, all right. Well, MAGA Mike Johnson, less creepy. I got to say, that that's actually a, a very good thing that he did. And uh, I regret uh, calling it all creepy. But still, the porn monitoring thing is still creepy. I don't know. And it goes against, uh, you know, it's what you, I don't know. And, you know, I don't even have a problem with, you know, people can do what they want to do as long as they're not hurting other people. But uh, so I don't have a problem even uh, with, you know, Mike Johnson can spend his free time doing whatever he wants as long as he's not hurting people or doing crimes. Um, And uh, yeah, enough about that. Uh, That was actually a side story anyway about uh, the mess of the Republican Party under MAGA Mike Johnson's leadership. Uh, And I do mind that it's looking likely that we're going to have a government shutdown in eight days. And I do blame a lot of that on him because he is the one who's supposed to get this stuff pushed through. He hasn't brought anything to the floor having to do with the budget. He's letting people bring all this other crap to the floor that they know is not ever going to get signed into law. Even if they vote it in, they're just wasting time and they're not spending any time trying to prevent the government from shutting down. They want the government to shut down is what it looks like. So, yeah, that angers me. Um, There are some things going on also that the Republican Party is doing that is anti-democratic, to say the least. And uh, we'll talk about that when, after we take a short break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to the Matt McNeil Show. I'm Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt. Um, Something happened with the music there, so we just came in clean. It's like the old days. We used to read our own commercials sometimes. Uh, That was scary because you couldn't really screw up a commercial. But anyway, so we're back. And we were talking about uh, the dysfunction of the uh, United States House of Representatives under the new leadership of MAGA Mike Johnson. Here's a story from the New York Times. Two days after Republicans across the country suffered a drubbing uh, dragged down by their opposition to abortion rights in the off-year elections, GOP leaders on Capitol Hill appeared not to have gotten the memo. So what happened just yesterday? House Republicans tried on Thursday to use a financial services spending bill to chip away at a District of Columbia law aimed at protecting employees from being discriminated against for seeking contraception or abortion services. Tucked inside the otherwise dry bill was a line barring federal funds from being used to enforce that law. But minutes ahead of an expected vote, Republicans were forced to pull the legislation from the floor. Mainstream GOP lawmakers from competitive districts concerned that their party's opposition to abortion rights has alienated women appeared unwilling to support the abortion relation restriction, sapping the measure of the votes necessary to pass it. 
It was the latest reflection of the deep divisions among Republicans that have prevented them, for the moment, from coalescing around a strategy for averting a government shutdown. But this time, it was also an illustration of yet another connection, disconnection, between a small group of Republicans in Congress who are trying to pivot away from an anti-abortion message that voters have rejected and a much larger coalition, including the party's leaders, who are doubling down. So why would they be doubling down when they keep getting trounced in elections? Apparently, there's a handful of Republicans who are worried, and I don't think this means they're worried or or concerned about their constituents. I think they're just worried about not winning re-election, and they realize that they're going to lose re-election because what they're doing and what their party is doing goes against the vast, overwhelming majority of Americans. And there are some Republicans who, I mean, the, it's not working anymore. And what I'm noticing is the even, even the mainstream media is starting to change a little bit. I think because they know that they can't keep doing things the way that they've been doing them. So here's a very interesting exchange um, uh, I don't know who this representative – yeah, this is uh, a Republican representative, Greg Murphy from North Carolina, being questioned on CNN about uh, – because they just subpoenaed Hunter Biden. And it's speculating – everybody's speculating as to whether Hunter Biden is going to show up. So then this guy was just asked, well, will you vote – for a uh, contempt of Congress if he doesn't uh, abide by this subpoena. And here's the exchange that happened immediately after he was asked that question. Why have you changed your position on holding people in contempt of Congress? You voted against holding Steve Bannon in contempt. Well, I think it's a little bit different when you have the president of the United States. We have somebody who's not an elected official. You have the president of the United States was selling his influence. His son I, I, was no, selling his influence. No, but I don't understand. Influence. We're talking about the people you're talking about. a little bit different standards, John, when you have somebody who's in elected office versus somebody who's not in elected Steve office. Steve Bannon He's wasn't in elected of office. States. He was the vice Steve, president well, I'm sorry, of the United I'm sorry, States. Who, who, are you saying, who are you saying was in an elected office here when you're talking about holding people in contempt of Congress for being non-responsive? Well, what, tell me what office Steve Bannon was in. Well, tell me what office Hunter Biden was in. No, I'm not talking about Hunter Biden. I'm talking about Joe Biden, the president of the United States. You haven't subpoenaed him. You haven't subpoenaed him. I'm asking asking if Hunter Biden or Jim Biden, the brother and son of the president, who are not elected officials, if they are not responsive, uh, will you hold them contempt? Think think about this, John. If if you've seen the, the, the facts, the facts that have occurred, we see that there's been influence peddling. I mean, the president of the United States, vice president at the time, said point blank, if you don't fire a prosecutor, I'm going to withhold money. So that's a crooked but, deal in as itself. But you're, you're, so you're it's talking about what happened in Ukraine. If we don't get these individuals... Congressman, I'm just trying to understand the difference. I'm just trying to understand the difference when you're talking about congressional subpoenas. You voted against holding Steve Bannon in contempt of Congress when he didn't appear before the January 6th committee, which was a committee, you know, yeah, but was, elected was for by Bannon Congress. Was Steve Bannon related to the president of the United States? No, he, he was, he, no, he he was, he was a former employee of, of President Donald Trump. And the other people who you did not vote to hold in contempt literally worked for the former president, Donald Trump. At this point. So, yeah, that's 
that's uh, somebody standing up to a Republican who obviously is just stumbling and bumbling over his words and doesn't know how to answer the question. Um, I'm not sure why they put him on that show, but I'm I'm starting to see mainstream media. It's even happening on Meet the Press now. Of course, now that Chuck Todd is gone. It's happening on Meet the Press. It's happening on, on the other big shows on Sunday mornings, and it's, it didn't used to happen. And I'm seeing this more and more. I'm also seeing more and more Republicans starting to realize that they need to do something different. And if you remember before when I was talking about the Heritage Foundation and their Project 2025, the conservative promise— I mentioned that they have this term. They don't want to say pro-life anymore. They want to refer to abortion as, you know, being anti-abortion as the rights of the unborn. And that's a, some, something that was written months and months ago. And just today, I want to read to you something that Ohio House of Representatives Now, this is, of course, in small print at the bottom. It says, the Ohio House Pro-Life Caucus was founded in 2021 during the 134th General Assembly. It is composed of members from across the state of Ohio who are committed to protecting the pre-born. For more information, blah, blah, blah. That's in the small print at the bottom. So they're using things like unborn and pre-born because they don't want to say pro-life anymore because they know that's not working anymore. So they wrote this. We all know, and I talked extensively yesterday about what happened in Ohio on Tuesday during the elections. They passed an amendment to their Constitution that protects women's reproductive rights. I think it also protects the right to birth control. And that's the people of Ohio voting for this amendment. And an amendment on a constitution is really, really, really hard to get rid of. So it's there. But yet, the Ohio House of Representatives Republican Pro-Life Caucus writes, Members of the Ohio General Assembly issued a statement Wednesday in response to the passage of Issue 1, that's the amendment that I talked about, during Tuesday's general elections. Here's the statement. Unlike the language of this proposal, we want to be very clear. The vague, intentionally deceptive language of of Issue 1 docs does not clarify the issues of life, parental consent, informed consent or viability, including partial birth abortion, but rather introduces more confusion. This initiative failed to mention a single specific law. We will do everything in our power to prevent our laws from being removed based upon perception of intent. We were elected to protect the most vulnerable in our state, and we will continue that work. And it's signed by quite a number. Uh, It looks like maybe about 30 or so. 25 to 30 members. So they still want to go against this. They still want to go against the vast majority. This one 
by 11 points, I believe. So that's an overwhelming win. They want to go against the overwhelming amount of Ohio citizens. And also, uh, GOP lawmakers are suing Michigan to block state constitutional amendment to reproductive rights, a ballot initiative approved by voters, arguing voters can't create new rights. They fail to understand the basic concepts of democracy. Correct. So both in Michigan and Ohio, Republicans are still, they completely lost. Once you pass an amendment, your state constitutional amendment, if that's against what you wanted, you have lost definitively and and you're finished. You're all done. That's it for you. Your thing is done. You need to stop talking about it and go away. But in both Michigan and Ohio, angry Republicans are trying to do this. Here's somebody on Twitter, uh, Will's Media Reform School, <laughs> hashtag do better. I just started following. I just discovered him today. He points out a uh, story that Peter Baker, who is, I, I think he's an NBC uh, political correspondent in Washington. He might be a White House correspondent, but he writes about uh, things going on with the elections. And here's how he words it. A reminder of how closely divided some of this week's elections really were. A change of just 830 votes in a single Virginia House district and 1,923 in a single Virginia Senate district would have kept Democrats from taking full control of the legislature and changed the narrative. And what he's doing there is just talking about, no, we're still divided. It's still division talk. And he's saying change the narrative. No, the Democrats changed the narrative by winning by winning the the House of Delegates. That's what changed the narrative. Uh, Will's Media Reform School rewrites it. It said, non, it should be, non-lunatic Virginia voters overcame GOP rat-effing to preserve reproductive choice and democracy. That's the only headline here. I like Peter Baker, but this is just the media... And what they do. Now, I also played you, you know, uh, the media uh, finally holding to account a Republican just a little bit ago. That is happening, too. And I think Peter Baker just feels like he's doing reporting. I don't think he even realizes what he's doing here. He's trying to point out that, oh, the Democrats almost lost. Instead of saying, the Democrats won. Everyone thought the Republicans were going to do really well in this. Nobody thought they were going to, the Democrats were going to win the House. Everyone thought they were going to not win the House and they were going to lose the Senate. But no, they kept the Senate and they won the House. Nobody thought they were going to do that. But Peter Baker's basically saying, oh, the Democrats almost didn't win. You know, come on. I mean, you know. Come on. All right, one more break, and we'll come back and finish out today's show. You're listening to The Matt McNeil Show on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be right back. 
AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt. Patrick on the board. And I want to play another clip for you. This is a little bit longer of a clip, but it's so well done. A weird, uh, you know, Michigan. A um, lot of stuff going on in Michigan. Uh, Congresswoman Tlaib, she, is, she represents the district uh, right in Detroit and surrounding areas of Detroit. Another, a, a state um, uh, senator, Mallory McMorrow, we've heard from her last summer talking about uh, reproductive rights. And she, we have so many really eloquent speakers and really great representatives and senators who are Democrats right now. Most of them are women, the ones I'm talking about. Most of them are women. Um, AOC is uh, succinct and uh, does her homework. You can see clips of her in committee meetings and things like that. Um, but this is Mallory McMorrow. She's talking about the fact that uh, yesterday the Republican minority leader of the Michigan State Senate introduced a resolution along with the entire Republican caucus. We're talking about just in Michigan. So this is the Michigan State minority leader of the Senate. Introduced a resolution along with the entire Michigan Republican caucus calling for Congresswoman Tlaib to be expelled from the House of Representatives which she points out is an entirely different level of government than the one that they are in. And here's uh, Senator Mallory McMorrow talking about that. Thank you, Mr. President. This has been a really heartbreaking and challenging month. And to have the minority leader stand up in this moment to stoke more hatred and division directed at a member of Congress is devastating. For some context, uh, my husband is Jewish. My daughter has an Israeli name. And over the past month, I have received messages from complete strangers. One who told me that they know where I live and that my daughter should be dead. I also represent many of the constituents that Congresswoman Tlaib represents. There was a resolution introduced in Congress by Congressman Ryan Zinke, who was previously the Secretary of the Interior under Donald Trump, to expel Palestinians from the United States completely. That is horrific. We have seen rising anti-Semitism. We have seen rising Islamophobia. We have seen attacks on children. We saw a child murdered in Chicago. We saw a woman drive her car into a building thinking that it was a Jewish center. And the focus from the other side of the aisle is to expel a member of Congress, not addressing any of the real safety issues, not addressing any of the valid fears and anger and hatred and concerns of the people that we represent to focus on one member of Congress. And I have never heard members on the other side of the aisle care this deeply about the constituents 
that that member of Congress represents. Some of the most diverse people in the state of Michigan who all have very real problems and fears and concerns. We represent one of the most diverse areas of the state, if not the country, where people who are directly impacted by the events in the Middle East are living side by side. One of my greatest fears is that the events happening in the Middle East right now divide us at home that we see hate and division and anger boil over. Because I've always been proud that we are an area that can lead by example for the rest of the country, if not the world, to show how people with very different backgrounds and religions and experiences can and do live side by side. What a shameful weaponization of a horrific war to try to score political points to divide Democrats against Democrats for shame. You don't care about the Congresswoman's constituents in Detroit. You don't care about the Congresswoman's constituents in Oakland County. You don't care. I hope we do better next year. Thank you. So that's uh, Michigan Representative uh, Senator, uh, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow, uh, talking about that. And it's the whole point of, you know, what are the Republicans doing right now? They're just talking hateful about people, and they're just thinking about politics, and they're not doing their jobs. And the government looks like it's going to shut down in eight days. Because Republicans aren't doing their jobs. They're trying to do all these stunts. And it's disgusting. It, it's, it, I mean, you know, one of my nephews works for the government, and so does his father, my brother. And a government shut, they, a couple Minnesota government shutdowns here, it's pretty devastating for them. At least for a while. It's really, really difficult. It's not a joke. It's not supposed to be a political stunt. They're doing all these political stunts and they are not doing their jobs. And it's it's not funny anymore, guys. It's just not funny anymore. One thing that is funny is uh, the lawyers for Donald Trump in the New York fraud case, Alina Haba and Chris Kice. A couple of weeks ago, Chris Kice got up and said, you know, he wanted to make a motion or something saying, I want, whenever I say something, I want people to not laugh at me. I'm not getting respect that I deserve. And in reality, the way he performs as a lawyer, he doesn't deserve any respect. <laughs> but he was like crying about that. Nobody respects me. Every time I say something, everyone laughs at me. And... And then uh, today, I guess, or yesterday, when, no, when uh, on Wednesday, Alina Haba, when Ivanka Trump was talking, they showed her a an email and talked about the email. And Alina Haba stood up and yelled, you know, no, you can't do that. I, I, uh, um, 
what do they call it when you do that in court? I, uh, oh man, my brain works so weird when I'm talking with a microphone in my face. I object. You can't show that because she didn't mean to say that. It was never sent. And then the per- the, the other lawyer points out, uh, yeah, it says right here, she sent, and then it has the time of day and the date it was sent. And then she goes, well, I just don't think it should be admitted. And then they point out, well, this is actually your, this is the defense <laughs> evidence. This is evidence from you. This is an email that you wanted to put in, uh, in, in court. So what are you doing? You don't even remember that? This is you. So yeah, I, that's the lawyers that Trump can afford anymore. That's the lawyers that he can get to agree to be his lawyers. Bottom of the barrel, and he's got a lot of, a lot of stuff coming up, where he needs good lawyers, but he doesn't have good lawyers. That's the end for today. Thanks for listening this entire week. I'm Todd Mickelson, sitting in for Matt McNeil. I'll be back on Monday, and then Matt will be back on Tuesday. You've been listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.